The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today I'm very excited to have one of the few people who's really tackling one of the biggest, biggest challenges in neurodiversity. And I want to welcome Ashley Kim. Ashley, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Ashley, why don't you introduce yourself properly to our audience? All right. Um, I am uh, the president and CEO of Elevera Community, which is a non-for-profit organization based in Los Angeles, focused on building housing uh, for individuals with developmental differences. I also represent Together for Choice, which is a national advocacy organization that advocates for individuals' rights to choose where people live and receive services and spend time with um, other peers of their choice. Well, housing is something that certainly has not come to the fore in the neurodiversity world. No. How did you get into this? Oh, that is an interesting question because that's something that I get asked all the time because I have no family members um, that have um, developmental differences. Um, when I was working as a consultant years ago, I had a family approaching me um, that were desperately looking for options for their adult children with um, physical and developmental uh, needs. And um, at that time, I didn't know anything about autism or any of these other developmental differences. So when I actually started reaching out to the disability community looking for options, there wasn't much for adults. There were many, many options for children. But I actually could not believe that there was nothing available once you turn 21. Um, it's gotten a lot better even in the last five, six years. But that's when I thought, well, I have the skills in business and I can figure things out as long as I have a brain. Um, why don't I help out this family and try to find some options? And that led me to connecting with the rest of the special needs community all over the country. And here I am now. Have you been able to connect with any of the other housing advocates, the few that yes. there are? Cool. Yes, yes. Um, I think it's interesting. As a housing person, I try to focus more on the local issues because housing challenges of building housing are very localized as well as, you know, nationwide. But um, I try to learn from great models all over the country. You know, I, I first started out looking at some great models in California. And when I realized that there were so many other great teachers out there, I started traveling and reaching out to all these communities. And we do a lot of advocacy work together. So in the process, I've learned a lot from my teachers. So I'm not, what I'm sharing today is nothing that I came up with. It's all something that I am shamelessly copying from others. The ideal community I was thinking of would be a mixed use community, which is all the rage in multifamily. Mm -hmm. 
Carolyn Nafa has done that a little bit down in Nashville with matching up college students and giving them subsidized housing to room with autistic individuals. Yeah. Um, and it's paradoxically or ironically, it's worked out where being a richer experience for the so-called neurotypical than it has been for the uh, autistic individual. What are some of the mixes and matches that you're finding as you go forward? Those type of um, arrangements are very ideal for individuals that are fairly independent. Um, but in many ways, uh, you know, the families and um, individuals that I meet require a lot more um, attention to care. And while some of those type of arrangements could work for some individuals, others may not be. And so for me, when I see the type of housing that works beautifully are, you know, communities that have what's called the continuum of care models. Um, so an individual can actually be fairly independent at a certain point, but as they age, um, their needs change. And, you know, these type of communities actually have a variety of options available so that that person would never have to leave that community, but continue to be part of them, their, the, you know, connected community that they're part of. So um, I have an example where uh, this woman, she actually lived with her mother for uh, many years, and then her mother actually died of cancer. And um, so her brother actually enrolled her into a community in Georgia. And she actually told them, the staffers, that she's too independent. She would like to live on her own and she would like to have a job somewhere. So they made that kind of arrangement, moved her out to an independent community unit on their campus. And, and she actually got a job at McDonald's. Eventually, she, be, she became like a lifetime person where um, she was like a lifetime employee. And as she got older, um, she actually started experiencing dementia. And eventually, she had to retire from McDonald's. And when she did retire, you know, McDonald's gave her like a lifetime McDonald's card where she can go to, you know, get free food all the time. And eventually from independent, she transitioned to assisted living. And then from assisted living, she eventually transitioned to hospice care um, or skilled nursing home, actually. The, but that experience of transitioning from one level to another was not as frightening for her because she was still under the care of the same people, it's the same community, and getting this, having the same connection with her family and friends. And um, in the end, she died peacefully, and her brother actually joined the board of that organization because he felt that that was the biggest gift, um, you know, for her sister, that she could ever have been connected to this community until the end of her life. So that type of arrangement is something that I really would like to promote, but that doesn't have to be an option for everybody because some people don't need that kind of care rest of their life. We think of the continuum of care, we only think of that for old people, 
when they go into a senior housing. But we don't think of it in terms of everybody, the entire spectrum of life. You also brought up the very interesting point regarding ageism, that our society inadvertently discriminates against adults. Everything's for the children. Yes. Uh, here at Different Brains, we start our internships at 18 plus because everything's for the kids. Then when they get to be 18 to 22, foster care, they're thrown out on the street. Mm -hmm. All the programs in, the government programs, everything. Um, and you've, you've just got my mind working in such a way because you see the continuum of life starting much younger than we think of in so-called senior housing to assisted living to the nursing home. So you're based in Florida. So Florida is actually really amazing when it comes to housing funding. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Arc of Jacksonville, uh, which has developed a 98-unit apartment community completely affordable. I mean, more affordable than most of the other communities that I know of in the country, actually. It looks like a really nice um, gated community neighborhood. And you drive around, they are like, they look like single family homes, but they're actually apartments. And um, about, uh, I think 80% of the units are set aside for individuals with developmental differences. And about, I think 20% are for anyone, not just with differences, but everyone that is eligible to apply for those affordable homes. And um, they were completely funded by uh, low-income housing tax credits and state grants. And some amount was raised privately uh, by the Arc of Jacksonville. Wow, I was I was ignorant of that. That sounds like a great program. Yes, and so the total um, estimate of your cost to live there, including food and everything else, is about nine hundred to twelve hundred dollars a month for an individual. Wow, that's actually very affordable. Very much so. Wow. Yeah. Yes, and so now that uh, Jim Whitaker is the CEO of Arc of Jacksonville. And uh, he's now consulting many other organizations all over the country, actually. So he's actually working with an organization called Casa Familia to build a similar community down in Miami. Oh, wow. Yes. And they got the tax credit approval last year. And they're pretty much, you know, busy right now. They already have the vision. They already have the design. And they're in the works. Wow. That's very encouraging. You made my day. Yeah. <laughs> well, we learn a lot from those models in Florida. And I always go to California's um, agencies and say, why can't we get those credits for, you know, us, like the way Florida's treat, you know, doing it for their communities out there. Um, but I think uh, it's thanks to Jim and many other individuals in Florida advocating to have some kind of set aside for tax credits for individuals with developmental disabilities. That was a huge, you know, that was a big uh, win for our community in Florida. Wow.
Tell us about, if there is such a thing, your average resident who lives in one of your communities. Well, average resident would be, well, okay, it, it really depends on each community, right? So the Ark of Jacksonville, the Ark Village um, individuals are fairly independent. They can, you know, for example, I know somebody there, he actually drives, he's in his mid-20s, he drives, he can actually have a job out in the community. And um, some of the other residents I know at Jacksonville, I actually met up with them in D.C. and we walked all over Washington, D.C. all night long. And we had great dinner, you know, great conversation. They can take public transportation. Um, you name it, just very high energy, independent. It's hard for me to keep up with that. <laughs> so these are individuals that you just need a little bit of support. Um, they just need a little bit of support and coaching and guiding. Um, and they can pretty much, you know, learn how to cook, how to take public transportation, how to drive and hang out with their friends and still, you know, go and take classes and, um, you know, engage in a lot of community activities. I think the biggest key for these individuals is that they need social connectedness and they get that from the Ark Village. They walk out, they see their friends. Um, you know, I actually was talking to a family whose son lives at the Ark, of, Ark Village. I asked them, well, does he want to come back during COVID? And they said, well, I asked him, and he said, are you crazy? No, I'm not going to your house. I'm going to stay at my apartment. So that's, that's just such an amazing place where people can actually be very independent, but still be connected to the greater community. Um, another family told me that uh, when they first moved in, they were doing uh, hosting a birthday party for their son. So, you know, the dad showed up with three large pizzas. But by the end of like second or third hour, he had to call pizzeria and ask for like another 10 large pizzas. <laughs> everyone showed up <laughs> and his son was like so popular for a while because of that party. So that's where that's the social connectedness that so many people are, are, are you know, wanting to have. Right. That's 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 something that we all want. Everybody wants. And it's one of the most underrated things when you talk about neurodiversity, socialization, yes. and and for yes. overall health, uh, all the all the studies show that. You know, there was a a seventy five year longitudinal study at Harvard where they followed seventy five families. This had the study had nothing to do with neurodiversity. It was like, what makes people live longer and happier lives? And they thought it was going to have to do with their genes with diabetes, heart disease, cancer, social connections, strong social relationships blew everything out of the water. Oh, and yeah, absolutely. More cancer, more diabetes, earlier death, uh, heart disease, bad health, and of course, dementia and Alzheimer's. And, yes. you know, in... I did a very, I made a big mistake when I asked you, what's the average? Because yeah. there is no average. average. All of our brains are different. That's why every, you know, my daughter taught me, 
every brain is like a snowflake, no two are alike. And each of our brains are different and each of us are individuals. Um, is there anything you'd like to talk about that we have not discussed today? Yeah, would you like to know about some of the great example communities? Um, I can name a couple of other communities that you would like, that people would, might be interested in learning more about. Absolutely. Okay. So there is an organization called Misericordia, which is based in Chicago, Illinois. Um, it's led by Sister Rosemary Connolly, who has been their executive director for the last 50 years. It's probably the best or one of the best models in the country that I've seen so far. And if we could find Misericordia in Los Angeles or somewhere in our California state, I would, I would be so thrilled. How do so you spell it, it? How do you spell it? It's M-I-S-E-R-I-C-O-R-D-I-A. It, it's Latin for mercy. It's heart of mercy. So it, she took over Misericordia about 50 years ago, um, moved the campus basically and started this campus with like one house that was uh, taken over from an orphanage that was closed. Um, maybe I don't have to talk about all the details of how it was founded, but since uh, she took over, the organization has grown significantly, tremendously, to a point where now they serve about 600 individuals with needs um, from age two to end of life. And they have independent apartments. They also have assisted living apartments. They have intermediary care facilities. In fact, they are the largest ICF in the state. And they have group homes out in the community, about 16 of them throughout the city. They also have amazing bakeries, um, restaurant, recycling center, uh, gardens, you name it. If you go to Chicago and you just tell strangers, like, I'm here to visit Ms. Recordia, people know them because they're so visible out in the community. And people say, wow, I love their bakery. I love their restaurant. They're out and about, they're very visible, they're well integrated into the community. And what they do is that, you know, basically that's another prime example of, in, you know, continual care. You can be there uh, from whatever age, as long as you need the services, until end of life. And families are always together. And what they say is that, you know, Misericordia doesn't take their kids they raise with them. You know, they take care of their children with the family. So all their families are very involved. The amazing thing about them is that they invest heavily on, on in their staff. So the Medicaid reimbursement does not cover enough, especially when you want to pay their staff well. Sure. So sure. their annual budget, you know, they usually have a deficit of about $20 million because they pay more to their staff than you know, the industry level, but they raise that $20 million every single year and more. Wow. And so it's like, a, you know, if I had a child in Illinois, I would want my child to be at Misericordia. And uh, so many families are so grateful uh, to be part of that community. 
So that's one example. And I think I mentioned about the arc of Jacksonville, which is another great example. And Casa Familia is, you know, about to uh, start that journey, or they're actually on that journey right now in Miami. So they're going to be such a blessing to many families in Miami and surrounding areas. Um, and there's another organization in California. I would be remiss to not mention any great organizations in California. So there's an organization called Casa de Ama. So um, it's founded by uh, a Leatherby family whose son was graduating from Riverview in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And the family recognized that um, until their son went to Riverview, he basically had no friends. And so at Riverview, that was the first time he experienced friendship and social connection. And the family wanted to continue that. And when their son was approaching 21, they said, well, where do we go? And how can we continue this amazing journey? So they actually bought a piece of land in Orange County, California, and built this amazing community. It's a, it looks like a really nice apartment, very luxurious apartment, actually, um, that has about, that serves about 35 individuals. They all have their own apartment units. A few of them have roommates. And many of them, about, I think, 90, 95% of the people actually have a job in the community. Um, job, paying job, minimum paying, at least minimum wage, and um, volunteer jobs as well. Um, and it's such, it's been such a blessing to many families. Um, there is a long wait list to get in there. It's, in fact, it's divided into two um, lit types because so many people want their child into Casa de Alma. Um, and many of these individuals are guided to be independent and also to be, you know, to be a contributing member of their greater community. So when I go to Casa de Alma, it's like a party. Everybody knows each other. They're also, you can't ever get past anybody without having to introduce yourself because when you're entering Casa de Alma, you're entering their home and you have to introduce themselves and let them know why you're there. And so that's just a, such a sense of ownership and such a sense of community is something that is so valuable and beautiful. And uh, some family, some individuals actually have gotten married there and they live together and the staff guides them through their relationship and um, ups and downs of their relationships. Uh, many people actually date and break up and the staff would actually kind of guide them through all the breakups as well. So, you know, they're experiencing real life. There's, you know, something so raw and real about them. Um, so that's a beautiful community, and I would love to see more of Casa de Alma type of communities popping up all over the country. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like a great place. Yes. And, you know, I, it's such a blessing for the founder of Casa de Alma to fund this whole development. And that's the thing. We always need angels like the Leatherby families and other families that are able to fund these type of developments. If no families can do that, then we need to ask the government to provide more funding for 
our type of housing. Um, unfortunately, all over the country, housing is a big challenge for everyone. So you really have to step up and be as loud as possible and advocate for our housing because our group is not as vocal as seniors, veterans, homeless, and other special needs category uh, group. So, you know, whenever I reach out to, you know, Washington, D.C. or Sacramento in California, they always say that we're not loud enough. We're not advocating enough. I think Florida has an amazing job. Jim Whitaker and others in Florida have done an amazing job advocating for the special needs housing for people with different differences. But for the rest of us, we need to do more. Well, you're certainly doing a lot and you're helping a lot of people and it looks like you're having a good time doing it. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Ashley, what's the one thing the general public ought to know about housing for the neurodivergent? That there's no one size that fits all. Uh, we need models that meet different needs uh, for each individual with developmental differences. Well, Ashley Kim, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us here. And we hope you'll come back. Well, thank you for inviting me. I would love to come back. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.